I love the words of the song. Come thou long, expected, not surprised, not surprising, not we didn't see that coming, but come thou long, expected Jesus, for he had been prophesied. They were told a child would come. Who told them? Isaiah, he wrote one of the, some of the most beautiful words of all scripture. He said, for unto who? Isn't that awesome? For unto us, the prophet, the audience, for generations to come would read, for unto us. A child is born. Unto us, a son is given. Don't miss that, church. For unto us, a child, his humanity. Unto us, a son, his divinity. Fully God, fully man would come. And hundreds of years before that star would shine over Bethlehem, the prophet Isaiah said, and the government will be on his shoulders. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. The Hebrew, a wonder of a counselor, if you were to read it literally. In a world that had many opinions, but none providing tremendous hope, God's answer would be a baby boy who would be a wonder of a counselor. For unto us, a child is born, unto us a son is given, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. His name shall be also called Mighty God. In the Hebrew, it means El Gabor, God who is mighty. In a world that desperately needed someone who could come in and conquer sin, who could reign victorious over sin, God's answer is a baby boy, but he will be God who is mighty. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, his name will be Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. In Hebrew, the Father of Eternity. In a world where sin had made it so men were dead in their trespasses, they needed someone who could provide eternity. And in order to provide eternity, you must be from eternity. And he would be the father of eternity. The world needed a savior and God's answer was a baby boy. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace.
He'd be the ruler of peace. In a world full of conflict and division, God's answer would be a baby boy who could stand in the back of a boat and tell a storm, peace, be still. How could he do that? Because he was the ruler of peace. For unto us, a child is born. Unto us, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. That is the prophecy that inspires songs like Come Thou Long Expected Jesus. And he did just what they said he would do. And that's what we're here today to celebrate and to worship, to make a priority. The one who is the reason for this season. Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Thank you for sending the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace. Today, we celebrate his birth for his birthday of a king. And that child is the wonder of Christmas. Thank you, Lord, for Christmas Day. Thank you we could be together. In Jesus' name, amen. Merry Christmas, everyone. I'm so glad you could join us today, whether you're watching online or here in the house. It is Christmas Sunday, and these don't come around that often. However, I'm getting old enough to have done it before. And I heard, I'll do it again, 11 years from now because of a leap year. So I don't even want to know what I'll be doing in 11 years, but prayerfully, I'll be still preaching the word of God if he doesn't call me home, which I'd love him to do that with all of you alongside as we celebrate Christmas Day. It's so good to be in the word. Hey, hey, we've been in streams and I thought we might as well see what she wrote on December 25th. I found it very interesting, actually. I'm going to, I'm going to have you take a guess what, what, book of scripture do you think she leveraged? Isaiah 9-6. But she begins by saying, there's a song in the air, there's a star in the sky. There's a mother's deep prayer and a baby's low cry. And the star rains its fire while the beautiful sing for the manger of Bethlehem cradles a king. What a wonderful song. A number of years ago, a remarkable Christmas card was published by the title, If Christ Had Not Come. What an interesting title. It was based on our Savior's own words, if I had not come. In John 15, 22, uh, the card, it pictured a minister falling asleep in his study on Christmas morning and then dreaming of a world into which Jesus never came. It's empty. Lanterns dark. 
In his dream, he saw himself walking through his house, but as he looked, he saw no stockings hung on the chimney, no Christmas tree, no wreaths of holly, and no Christ to comfort and gladden hearts to save us. He then walked onto the street outside, but there was no church with its spiring pointing toward heaven. And when he came back and sat down in his library, he realized that every book about our Savior had disappeared. The minister dreamed that the doorbell rang and that a messenger asked him to visit a friend's poor dying mother. He reached her home, and as his friend sat and wept, he said, I have something here that will comfort you. And he opened his Bible to look for a familiar promise, but it ended with Malachi. There was no gospel and no promise of hope and salvation, and all he could do was bow his head and weep with his friend and his mother in bitter despair. Letty, what kind of Christmas card is this? Two days later, he stood beside her coffin and conducted her funeral service, but there was no message of comfort, no words of glorious resurrection, and no thought of a mansion awaiting her in heaven. There was only dust to dust and ashes to ashes, and one long eternal farewell. Finally, he realized that Christ had not come, and he burst into tears, whipping bitterly, weeping bitterly in his sorrowful dream, and then suddenly... He awoke with a start and a great shout of joy and praise burst from his lips as he heard his choir singing the words in the church nearby. Oh, come all ye faithful, joyful and triumphant. Oh, come ye, oh, come ye to Bethlehem. Let us be glad and rejoice today because he has come and let us remember the proclamation of the angel. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ, the Lord. We've been reflecting on devotionals from streams in the desert. We've been reflecting on the book of Isaiah. But we've also been reflecting on a snow globe, and why they're so endearing to our society. In fact, we've already had some people that tuned in to our service last night give feedback that they'll never think of snow globes the same way. For you have been traveling through this series, but many people saw it for the first time just Friday and Saturday. But today, my snow globe's empty as if to say, what if Christ did not come? Now, when I've been looking at these snow globes, I've been asking questions. What would you put in your snow globe? If you're a kid watching today or here in the audience, have you ever thought, what would you put? Have you already opened something this morning that you would love in your snow globe? I got to thinking, what would I want in my snow globe? Uh, what is a beautiful picturesque scene for me to stare at? My wife is probably the only one who would know the answer to this. Maybe my kids as well would have a few guesses. But I think I'd do this. I would probably have a railroad track like that because I love model trains. And I'd pull out probably the old Denver and Rio Grande and put it right in there like that and place it on the track. Now, how about that snow globe? There we go. See, everybody has a different idea of a snow globe. I'm not thinking that wouldn't sell. That would do good. That would do good. 
what would you put in yours, right? We've been talking about this because we've been saying the reality is we often can't control what happens inside the snow globe of our world. But the wonder of Christmas is that if Jesus is in your life, if you've invited him into your world, regardless of whatever circumstance might come your way, you can say, all is well. Today, we're gonna finish the four servant songs we've been studying in the month of December. It's been an incredible ride through these songs, and I pray you've appreciated this messianic look from the Old Testament at Christmas. But today's the final song, and it's been often called by scholars the Mount Everest of prophecy. It's also been referred to as the single most important prophecy in scripture. (laughs) I'm not sure I could put a list of importance. They're all amazing. But the idea is, it is a wonder of a song. And it describes the servant in such detail in what he went through. It's such a beautiful, beautiful song that it was the same song that the Ethiopian eunuch was reading in his chariot when Philip came up to him and said, who is this speaking of? The servant song, the final servant song. Now the first one, if we remember, was this. Isaiah, the chosen servant. And we read through it and realized that this is God's chosen servant, but he's gentle and lowly. We can look forward to the servant coming. Come thou expected Jesus. He will be gentle and lowly. He'll be humble. He'll be kind. He'll be gentle. And we learned that he's an incredible servant, but he's meek and he's measured. He's not out of control. He's measured in his actions. Then we learned he's a steadfast servant in the third song. And he's strong and courageous. He can take a punch. He can take the mission he's been called to. And he'll continue on. But what will we learn in this fourth and most epic song, if you will? Well, it's called the suffering servant. It's found in Isaiah chapters 52, the final few verses, and into Isaiah 53. And my bet is if you've been churched at all, you're going to recognize this if you're like, I'm trying to think, what is that? When I read it, you're going to be like, oh, I, I have definitely heard that. And they've been put together. Scum scholars talk about this as these songs are like a symphony. And it's almost as if a conductor is bringing in different parts of the servant. Dun, 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 dun. And, and you learn, gentle and lowly, and then strong and courageous and you're learning different parts of this and they all weave together and this is the climax of the great symphony and so there is a lot of symphonics to all of this in the hebrew that really makes those who who love to get into the depths of scripture just get all excited because of the depth that isaiah was writing with i've often thought what does it take to write a hit song Because I've noticed it doesn't take much. I mean, look at some of these Christmas songs. Some of them are beautiful, amazing songs. And some of them are, 
It's Dominic the donkey, jiggity jig, right? People have made serious money on that. Serious money, right? Grandma got run over by the reindeer. That guy's still making money today for that song. So I don't know what it takes to write a hit song. You might even just write, who let the dogs out and you're a millionaire, right? I don't know what it takes, but this song is a song of scripture and it's beautiful. And you know that all songs have verses, right? Well, the suffering servant song has verses itself. And what I wanna do is I'm gonna read these verses to you and then we're gonna reflect on a few things we see with each verse. There are five verses and we learn something new about the suffering servant in each one. Let's begin with the first section. We're gonna call this the exalted servant. It's verse one of the song, Isaiah 52, 13 through 15. Listen, behold, it means to look. It doesn't mean anything other than I want you to look at my servant for you are about to hear about a proud father. Oh, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up. He shall be exalted as many were astonished at you. His appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of children of mankind. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of them for that which has not been told them they see. This is taking a turn. The exalted servant is exalted, but he is exalted because I see three things. He's exalted because of his actions. My servant shall act wisely. He's exalted for his suffering. His appearance was so marred, it's as if people walked up to him and said, is this a human? I read this and go, how bad really was it? That people were like, is that, that's a, that's a man up there? He's exalted for his success, so he shall sprinkle many nations. We get the idea of the priests who entered into the Holy of Holies and sprinkled over the mercy seat to atone for all the sins of the people. The servant is exalted. And so verse one serves as like this big entry to a song. Have you ever heard a song with this huge intro and then it gets going? That's how this song begins. It's just this exaltation of everything the servant will be. And then verse two. Let's call this verse the ordinary servant. What? I would have thought we would, just, just listen. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by man, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hid their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. There are many scholars who believe this is the view of the Jews of the servant, that they rejected him, especially those during that time period, for not all did. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the Lord been revealed? I, I, I see three things about this ordinary servant. He had an ordinary upbringing. Wouldn't you think if the king came into the world, he'd want this magnificent coronation? No. Oh, the world values appearance. 
We all know the world values appearance, but the servant will have a very ordinary appearance. No, no form of majesty that you'd be like, oh, he is clearly the king. This world values things that God just doesn't value. He's ordinary struggles. He's a man of sorrows, which can often, if you dig into the root of sorrows, mean mental anguish as well. He had difficulty with all the pressures on him, but without sin. The third verse, let's call it the shouldering servant. I like that term. I was looking for something maybe a little bit more epic, but I like this term. I think you'll see why. Surely, he has borne our griefs, this, verse, these, this third verse says, and he's carried our sorrows. Wait a minute, whose? Ours. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds were healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity or sin of us all. He bore our sorrows. He bore our sins. He bore our punishment. It was ours. And he took it. Sin is very serious. There must be a punishment for it. Grace can only be applied if sin has been taken care of. And it was the servant who shouldered our sorrows, who shouldered our sins, who shouldered our punishment. The fourth verse. Oh, wow, this is incredible. It says this. I'm gonna call it the silent servant. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. No complaint, no pushback. There's something about suffering in silence that, that God honors. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like sheep there before its shears is silent. Sheep, sheep are not silence as, wow, wow. So he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgressions of my people, and they made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. The silent servant was silent through cruelty, Oppressed, yet opened not his mouth. He was silent through suffering, like a sheep that before its shears is silent. He was silent through his shame. They made his grave with the wicked, although he had done nothing. In fact, it even says, you can see some prophetic richness to this, and with the rich man in his death, for many of you know that a rich man made sure he was buried in a proper tomb. The fifth verse. Let's call this the satisfying servant. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied by his knowledge. Shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. And he shall bear their iniquities. 
Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many and he shall divide the spoil with the strong because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. He's a satisfying servant. He satisfied the Lord and it was the will of the Lord to crush him. God allowed him to be crushed so that he could take the wrath of sin. It's a big theological world called propitiation where the wrath of sin was put on Jesus and he shouldered it so that we could receive grace and not only grace, the offer of eternal life. He satisfied the mission. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. And he satisfied the many. Therefore, I will divide with him a portion with the many. Five amazing verses. One incredible song. The chosen servant. Now we're starting to put the symphony together. He's gentle and lowly. He's meek and he's measured. He's strong and he's courageous. And he's selfless and sacrificial. This servant is a wonder. He's the wonder of Christmas. And when you begin to see him in his totality, the wonder grows and grows. But who cannot think, what a sacrifice, what selflessness, to leave his perfect and to come into our mess. 1937, Jonathan Griffin was working at his train bridge. Oh, he oversaw this bridge just off, just crossing near the Mississippi River. And every so often, the beautiful Memphis Express would cross. But he knew what times they would cross. He was very aware of this. And this specific day, he had brought his son. And the, the story is told by Ray Burks in the Song of the Suffering Servant that Jonathan brought his little eight-year-old boy Greg that day to the tracks. He would show him the massive gears. Oh, he loved to look at them go. He would see the bridge go up for the boats to pass and the bridge go down for the train to come across. They were down in the gear room. They were looking around. He was so proud of his dad for he got to see how his dad with his hand could control the fate of so many. But then alarm hit. Something was off. Timing was different. For all of a sudden, from down in the gear room, Jonathan heard the train coming. This is impossible. This isn't the time it's supposed to come. The bridge is up. The bridge isn't down. This train will crash into the river below. For the part the train was coming, the Memphis Express, the bridge would need to calm down for it to cross. And it is currently up. Was he talking with little Greg too long? Was it ahead of schedule? 
What on earth is the train doing now? And he has to make a decision. He has to make it quickly. He tells little Greg, stay, stay, stay. Dad's running, running. And he runs up towards the control room. He gets to the tower and he looks out and certainly there it is. Memphis Express headed towards the bridge that is up, it will crash into the river. He gathers the gears. He believes he has enough time, but he must act quickly. And as he goes to grab the control, he looks down to the gearbox where his son was. And it appears little Greg has tripped and fallen into the gear. This can't be, there's no time. He envisioned in his mind, I'll run down, I'll pull him out and then I'll run back up, but there's no time. He has to make a decision. And pulling that lever could certainly mean the sacrifice of his son. In fact, it most likely will. Not pulling the lever is everyone on that locomotive and all those passenger cars heading into the water to perish. grabbed the lever, realizing he had no time, and he pulled it. The bridge came down, and the Memphis Express rode across, looking in the windows to people who did not realize the sacrifice that the Father had just made for their sake, not appreciating it, not celebrating it, no cries of thank you. It was the train going across the bridge. The father ran down to the gearbox just praying that somehow he'd be okay. But little Gregory was lost that day. I love every one of you so much, but I cannot fathom giving one of my children for others. In fact, of many that won't even really care or celebrate it or honor it. What incredible sacrifice. And the song of the suffering servant demonstrates the amazing humility of Jesus to submit to his father's will, to go to earth so that those who believe in him should not perish, but get across the bridge to glory. That's the wonder of Christmas. And the New Testament tells us of the Lord's servant. The Lord's servant is wonderful. In Philippians 2, 5 through 11, instead of saying, I will be great, I will be awesome, he did the exact Thing his father asked of him. Scripture says, he did not regard equality with God as something to be grasped. Instead, he surrendered. It continues and says, he emptied himself. I will sacrifice. Scripture continues and he says, I will serve. He took the form of a servant being found in the likeness of men. Scripture says, I will submit. He humbled himself, becoming obedient. He, he continues and says, I will suffer. Obedient even to the point of death. Death on a cross. Not only just death, 
but a horrific, awful death. The king of Babylon in Isaiah is known for his five I will statements. I will have power. I will rise above the stars. I will be like the most high. And at the top of the ladder, scripture says he was brought down low. Pride cometh before the fall. But humility cometh before the rise. Scripture says, therefore, because he surrendered, because he sacrificed, because he served, and because he submitted, and even because he suffered, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above all names, so that at his name every knee should bow. Amen? The name that Mary would whisper in his ear, Jesus. There's an incredible return. There's a incredible return on those S's up there. They often talk about ROI, return on investment. There's an incredible return on these four things we've learned from the servant in scripture. There is a return on surrender. If God is calling you to surrender something and you think, oh, I can't let it go. I have to keep, I want my perfect snow globe and I just have to fight. There's such a return on surrender. It's called the opposite of anxiety and trying to control your life. God, you're in control. Whatever comes my way, all is well. There's an incredible return on submission. I'm not, I'm not doing that. I'm, I'm not following what God wants me to do here. I need to take my own control of this situation. I'm gonna act in haste instead of patience. No, no, no. There's an incredible return on submission. God, whatever you ask me to do, I'd rather be doing something terrifying with you by my side than something easy with you not with me. There's an incredible return on submission. There is an incredible return on serving. Look at it. I will surrender. I will sacrifice. When we serve others, you will find so much joy. I heard of a little girl going to school. She told her mom, I am going to have a good day today. And her mom said, how do you know if you'll have a good day? She says, I'm going to go take everyone a little gift. She learned already when you go and take the first step of serving others, you'll have a good day. It's when we desire to be served. We desire to be pleased. We desire to have our perfect situation. Oh, there's such a return on serving other people. And finally, we've learned there's such a return on sacrifice. What is God asking you maybe to sacrifice? What can you just maybe let go and give to him? an incredible return. Mary was holding that child. Mary saw that little baby. Oh, and she knew she was holding the God man. She knew she was holding. But there's a, some incredible songs out there that ask rhetorically, do you realize how awesome he is? He's amazing. He's incredible. It's not just a baby. What you're holding is a wonder of a counselor. In a world that thinks they have expert opinions, he will astound people with his knowledge. 
and with his ability to communicate and to answer any critic or any challenge, he will comfort people with his words. He'll even kneel down and say, is anyone willing to throw the stone? Now go no more. She was holding a wonder of a counselor. She was also holding mighty God, but he's meek and he's measured. He had the ability to call down millions of angels, but he said, Peter, put that sword away. My kingdom's not of this world. He had the ability to stand in the back of a boat and say, peace, be still. He was mighty God. In her arms was the everlasting father in a world that has very few father figures that exemplify God. He is the great father. He is the father of eternity and he offers salvation to anyone who calls upon his name. Even those who are on a cross right next to him. He is the father of eternity. And because of his work on the cross, because of his sacrifice, he has allowed men to cross the bridge of death into eternity for those who have invited him into their world and have called upon the name of Jesus to be saved. He is the prince of peace. If you need peace, there is only one ruler of it, and he is who you celebrate this Christmas. Within Mary's hands, who, by the way, Mary is one of my heroes, her faith is incredible. She held a child that would literally change the world. And he wasn't a surprise. He was expected. And they read about this prophetic literature. For unto us, a child is born. Unto us, a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulders. And they will call his name. Wonderful counselor. Mighty God. Everlasting father. Prince of peace. Have you invited him into your world? What a gift this Christmas would be for you to cross the bridge from death to life by receiving Jesus as your Savior. Thank you, Lord, for sending your Son, Jesus. Thank you for Christmas Day. Thank you for the wonder of Christmas. For unto us, a child is born. Unto us, a son is given. Oh, and he will be a wonder of a counselor. He will be God who is mighty. He will be the everlasting father. He will be the ruler of peace. Mary, in your arms, you held the hand of God.